0: This message was recorded during a Cornerstone U class given at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Question two, probably be some people filing in to find some seats. If you see people coming in and there's no seats for them, let's just all help each other and shuffle to, toward the end. Toward the it's good to see you. Welcome back. Uh, we do have some more workbooks and books in the back. There's a table right behind Patty in the sound booth back there, so... If, uh, if you need a workbook, or if you got the paper one, the PDF I printed off, and want a nice copy of one, feel free, just go back and get one. There should, there should be plenty, and if there's not, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'll try again, try, try again next week. So thanks for coming, let's, uh, let's pray, and then we're going to jump right in. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, thank you for your word that instructs us. Thank you for everybody who's here, who's eager to learn about you, eager to be grounded in their faith, eager to grow. Lord, I pray you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, I'm gonna do a quick review and um, just talk a little bit administratively about how things are going, and then we'll jump into kind of the topic at hand today. So, just as a review, first, the first week was um, kind of about just the importance of doctrine in the Christian life. That was the um, that was the topic. If you remember, kind of our main our main point was that sound doctrine leads to deep discipleship. So if you really take one big idea home from the entire class, I mean, each week. And starting today, we're going to talk about specific topics of doctrine. But if you take one big idea home, this is really the one I want you to take home from this class that sound doctrine leads to deep discipleship. We, um, there was a book by R.C. Sproul called Everyone's a Theologian. I don't know what you think about that title when you hear it. Everyone is a Theologian. You're probably thinking, or maybe you're thinking, yeah, I'm a Theologian. Maybe you're thinking, I'm not a Theologian. Well, Theology literally just means God talk, talk about God. So, if Theos God, Logos talk, words. So anyone who says things about God, thinks things about God, is a theologian. And R.C. Sproul says, the question isn't Are you a theologian or not? But are you a good one or a bad one? <laughs> that's that's kind of his that's his uh, way of describing the task of learning. Um, about doctrine, and I agree with that. We are all the aim of this class is to help us become better theologians, not just for the sake of our heads so that we can walk around proud of ourselves for knowing more, but really for the sake of our hearts and lives because sound doctrine leads to deep discipleship. So, that's the, that was kind of the first week. This week we're going to talk about the doctrine of scripture, Uh, but before we do that, I just want to hear kind of how things are going, see if anyone has any questions about um, the administration of the class. So, you should have this week read chapter 4 in Life's Biggest Questions. Show of hands, who did their homework? No, I'm just kidding. We're not doing, we're, we're, we're not, we're not doing that. We're, no, no guilt if you didn't finish all of the homework. I was terrible in school at finishing homework. So I even hesitate to give assignments to, to do throughout the week. But my hope is that the assignments help you interact with the material, maybe in a different way than you're used to in a class like this. And a lot of the questions, by the way, are framed in, write this down in your own words. And the reason I, we frame the questions that way is so I really think that is how you begin to understand these doctrines. If you can articulate it, not just by reciting exactly what you read, but take what you read and kind of say it in your own words, it shows that you understand it and shows that you're going deeper. So that's the, that's the idea of the workbooks. So you should have done chapter four in the book, which is section two in the workbook. So, sorry if this was a little bit confusing. I think what might help is if each week you just look straight ahead to the session that's coming up for the next week. So, today is session two. So, if I would have explained it to you last week, I would have said, okay, look at session two in the workbook. It'll explain exactly what you need to do for that week. Does Does that make sense? So, kind of next week, look at session three in the workbook and it'll tell you exactly what chapters to read and work to do, things like that. Like I said, there's more books and workbooks in the back, and um, if you need a PDF or if you want, like, quotes or scriptures that we use during class, uh, you feel free just to email me. I'm happy to send out outlines, things like that. Um, before we jump in for today's topic, any, any questions just about how the class is structured? I know there's several moving part. So any, any questions, things that, are, things that are unclear before we jump in? Okay, great. So today, the question that we're going to seek to answer is, how can we know God? That's the question for today. How can we know God? And if you think about it, it's it could be an odd way to start a class like this. We're beginning with the doctrine of Scripture. One might think that you should begin a class on doctrine about God. So start the class talking about the Trinity, of who, who God is or what God has done. Uh, but I want to start with this question because I think it's actually the most fundamental question we can ask. So if there is no revelation of God, no way that God reveals himself to us, really there's no point of us being here doing this at all. If that makes sense? So the most fundamental question is, can we know God and what he's like? And that begins us with the doctrine of scripture. So that, that's how we're starting. Some theo- theology books, like systematic theologies, begin with the doctrine of God first. And I don't think that's necessarily wrong. I'm just letting you know that's how we're doing this class because as, as we think about it, you really need to answer that question, like, can we know God reliably? Can we know what he's like, who he is, what he's done, before jumping into to other things? So, how can we know God? That is the first question. And traditionally, when people have talked about, sought to answer this question, they've talked about we know God through two books. Anyone want to guess? what one of those books is. Probably pretty obvious. Yeah, right here. Holy Scripture. Excellent. Yep, that's very good. And that's, that's really our topic for today, is doctrine of Scripture. Maybe people are getting a little nervous. Two books. Is there another book? What, a, what, what do you guys think might be the other book? Yeah. Old and New Testament? That's, yeah, that's true. So we'll kind of incorporate that all in Scripture of Old and New Testament. Yeah, book of nature. Very good. Yeah, so when we talk about how can we know God, the Bible speaks about scripture and it speaks about nature. So think of Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. I was thinking about uh, even last night, the, I don't know if anybody watched the, the Chiefs football game, and it was like, it was ice on the field. Like, it was so cold that there was um, ice on the field, and Andy Reid, the coach for the Chiefs, had an icy mustache. I mean, it was, it was pretty hilarious, actually, watching this. And um, I didn't watch it because you had to stream the game for some reason, but as I was thinking about it, I was just like, even that, the fact that it could be so cold, that's totally out of our control, that reveals something about God's glory and power and majesty. Like he is the Lord over springtime and over winter, over every season, every sunrise declares something about God's glory. Romans 1 says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of of the world and the things that have been made. One way to think about this is as you guys walk out today and and behold the sunshine, or if you take a trip and see something beautiful, that is preaching to you. Like the, the world around us is preaching to us about God and his glory. So that's that's one book, the book of nature, but what we're going to talk about is the Bible. So we're going to talk about special Revelation—the the revelation from God that comes in the scriptures. So, four big questions we're gonna try to answer today. We'll see if we actually get to all of them. Let me erase this. Let's see. So, big questions we want to address today. What is the Bible? What? Is the Bible like? Can I trust the Bible? And how do I read the Bible? Okay, so these are four big questions. Like I said, we'll see, we'll see how far we get as we, as we go. So number one, what is the Bible? I'm going to begin with a little... Little interaction like we did last time. So you look around and find a find find a partner. For some people, this might be the most uh, most uh, I don't know anxiety-filled part of the class. Some people probably really like it, but I want to I want to do Do some interaction. So look around, find a partner. Here's the question: If you were sitting at Starbucks or your coffee shop of choice, and you had a Bible in front of you, and somebody came who'd never seen the Bible has no idea what that is, and just asked you, what is this book? What would you say? Does it make sense? So it's a little tough, tough question to start off. If somebody saw the Bible, and you can't just say, this is the Bible. You have, to, you, you, have to, you have to explain, what is this book? Okay? Does that question make sense? All right. So take a second and think about it, and then we'll hear, we'll hear some answers and go from there. All right. Let's, uh, let's come back together. Let's come back and let's hear some of you guys said, so what is the Bible? I know it's kind of a, I was thinking about it, it's like it's a kind of a daunting question if you think about it. Somebody comes and says, what is, what is the Bible? Let's see. How about you three guys right here? You look like a good, good group. What, what what did you guys say? I said our salvation. Our salvation from sin? Good. So kind of the, the central message of the Bible, right? salvation from sin. Okay. All right, who else? Yeah. What's wrong, with the world? what's wrong with the world? Okay, good. So sin, what's wrong? I've, this is kind of a side note, but I've often found that when you're talking with somebody who's an, who's an atheist or somebody who does, is skeptical about God, I've often found that question to be very um, very helpful in interacting with them. So okay, you're, you're an atheist, you don't believe in God, just ask the question, well, what's, what's, wrong with, what's wrong with the world? Everybody agrees that something is wrong, right? I think anybody would say, yeah, the suffering, something's not right. But if you don't believe in God, then basically what that's saying is the world exists because of random chance and matter, right? The world just it's a random big bang, it's meaningless, we're all just evolved from nothing, no good, no right, no God above us. That's it. So if somebody believes that, you might ask, well, what standard are you using to say that the world is wrong? That's a good question, just to keep in mind. By what standard are you using? According to random evolution, there's nothing right or wrong. It's just the way things are. But we all know, that's Romans 1, in the conscience, we all know something is wrong with the world, Right? Even the atheist you're talking to knows there's something wrong with the world. So it's a good it's a good question to ask. Okay, what else? One one more. Yep. Okay. Story of God. Story of God. Very good. Yeah. These are all these are all great great answers. Here here's here's the definition that I gave for if someone asked, what is the Bible and you know, you probably have to define each one of these terms. So those are probably actually better answers than this one for somebody at the coffee shop. But here's what I might say. The Bible is the inspired, inerrant word of God. So inspired, inerrant word of God. Okay, what do I mean by that? The Bible is the inspired word of God. That word inspired comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says all scripture is breathed out by God. And is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That word breathed out is where we get the word inspiration from. The idea is that the Bible is not just a collection of men's best thoughts about God. It's not just a religious textbook, but the words of Scripture come from God's very mouth. It's like a, a breathing out, and that's what this book is. So that whatever the Bible says, God says. that makes sense? Whatever the Bible says, God says. That, that's the doctrine of inspiration. Th- this book doesn't just contain words from God. It is the word of God. It's very, very important. Another text that helps us understand this is 2 Peter chapter one. It says this, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone else's interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but listen to this, but men spoke from God. So think about all the authors of the Bible, Paul, Peter, Isaiah. These men spoke um, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So do you see that? So there's, there's people speaking, writing. If you read the book of Romans, it's, it's an argument from first to last, right? This is Paul the Apostle making an argument about, about redemption. He's thinking, he's writing, he's trying to instruct, but as he's doing that, the Holy Spirit is carrying him along, making sure that these words are the word of God. Does that make sense? So the same way we might say, we'll just say it like this. The Bible is 100% man's words and 100% God's word. Does that make sense? Um, Some people, well, this view of inspiration is called just want a vocabulary word called concursive revelation concursive that means it's both God and man does that make sense Holy Spirit inspired men wrote and it's very important because as you read scripture it comes in a lot of different ways and formats there's a lot of different genres so Think of we're going through the book of Acts as a church right now. Acts is just a historical research narrative. So Luke, just think of the practicals of it. Luke is going around collecting eyewitness events about what happened, and he's writing it down. That's scripture, because as he did that and as he wrote, he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. Or think of observations of the natural world and life in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes you read that, and it reads very differently from the book of Acts, but it's still scripture carried along by the Holy Spirit. So just an error, a couple errors to avoid when we're talking about scripture. You want to avoid the error uh, of denying divine authorship. I think we would all a- agree with that right off the bat. If somebody says, ah, oh, scripture is just kind of, it was, it, was, it was the most evolved thinking of the day, but now we've evolved past that. I don't know if you ever heard somebody reason that way. That, that's an error because it's not just man's words, it's God's words. But on the other end, we want to be careful not to just assume, okay, Scripture is like God just dictates what people say, every single word, jot and tittle, and it's almost like a stream of consciousness to this person and then they're writing it down. Does that make sense? So Luke is doing his own historical research, making his case, but through that, God is speaking inerrantly. No mistakes. Does that make sense? He has fallen with that? Okay, and importantly, too, is the very words are inspired by God, not just the ideas. Scripture's true in everything it says, not just in its big ideas. Matthew 4 4. Jesus says man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Psalm 12:6 The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified 7 times. So because of inspiration, because every word of this book is breathed out by God, that means it's relevant and authoritative for every generation. Scripture does not grow old. It does not become outdated because the times have changed. Why? Because God never changes. So follow this, follow this. If you encounter somebody who says, well, yeah, I know Paul thought that because he lived in the first century, but our understanding of gender, of sexuality, has changed. So shouldn't, therefore, we change what we believe? Well, the answer is no, because scripture is not just Paul's ideas as a first century man living in his time and place. It is that, but scripture is God's very word through Paul to us. So if scripture changes, if we need to, if we need to erase some things about scripture, what we're really saying is we need to erase some things about God. Does that make sense? That's, that's how strongly we need to land on the very words, scripture, if scripture is the very word of God, we cannot fudge on any of it. We can't pull back from any of it. It's authoritative in our lives. Yet because it's inspired, it's authoritative for us today. No scripture is irrelevant or outdated because God is not outdated or irrelevant. I really, I'm pressing this point home because it's so critical to get, before we dive into the rest of doctrine, talk about the Trinity, talk about salvation, talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, talk about the end times. Whatever we're talking about, this piece is foundational. God's word is authoritative and tells us what is true. Okay, any any questions on that before we move on and talk about what the Bible is like. And, and any, any questions, especially on the idea of concursive revelation, the idea that God's speaking and human beings are speaking, and it kind of goes together. I'm not, I'm not saying it, it's not, it is a mystery how exactly the dynamics of that work, but that's what scripture holds out to be true and how, how it works. So, Any any questions about that? Don't want to rush on ahead. Yeah, Janice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Janice said that the same way Jesus is fully God and fully man. A hundred percent... God, and 100% man, and you don't have to, you don't have to work the percentages out, so it's 80%, 20%, it's 100% both, the same way scripture is 100% man's words and 100% God's words. I think, I think that's a helpful, a helpful way to put it, I agree with that. Good, yeah, another question? Yeah, good question. Yeah, very good. So Raquel's question is, so it wasn't like a dictation where, let's maybe an illustration of, let's say Paul is writing Ephesians and he's right here, he's got his pen, right? And he's he's writing out the letter of Ephesians. Like what was happening in that moment? Was God sort of, I don't know, a voice in his head saying, Paul, apostle of Jesus Christ, called by the grace of God, to the Ephesians. I don't think that's how writing that letter worked. I think a more helpful way to think about it is Paul was an apostle, and when he wrote the letter of Ephesians, the Holy Spirit inspired it so that his thoughts, his arguments, were God's thoughts and God's arguments. Does that make sense? The um, and we'll have to move on in a second. But if you if you've ever read the Quran, uh, it reads a lot differently. It reads like specific dictation from from God the whole time, and it's it's one genre. It's just complete stream of consciousness, and that's the argument that the that Muslims will make. Like, look, this is just straight dictation from God. But scripture doesn't work that way. It actually, God uses human personality. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? God uses Luke's distinct personality and distinct skills in order to write his divine revelation. That's, that's just amazing to think about. And there's no mistakes in it. So that's a, that a very good question. Anything else on that before we, before we move ahead? Okay, so question two, what is the Bible like? So we're, we're going to talk about some attributes of Scripture. So we can talk about attributes of God. We'll do that the next class. In this one, we're going to talk about the attributes of Scripture. So the first one we'll talk about is, ooh, let me get some space up here. Scripture is clear scripture is clear, the clarity of scripture. And with, uh, with everything I'm sharing in this portion, a lot of it comes from this book, Kevin DeYoung, Taking God at His Word. We have this in the bookstore, and there's actually a little section called Cornerstone U Resources. It's the first uh, floor shelf. You know, there's like two shelves on the floor of the bookstore. This is the one closest to the entrance. And uh, we have this setting up there. So if you're interested and want to dive in a little deeper, I'd encourage you to get this book. Probably my favorite book on the the doctrine of scripture that's really easy to follow. He says this about the clarity of scripture. The saving message of Jesus Christ is plainly taught in the scriptures and can be understood by all who have ears to hear it. So the saving message of Jesus Christ, that's what you guys shared at the beginning, right? When you're talking about the message of the Bible is how we're saved from our sins. The clarity of Scripture doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that everything in the Bible is equally easy to understand. So, you might even say the clarity of Scripture, and you're thinking, I'm in my Bible reading plan, and I'm in, you know, I'm in the middle of Leviticus, and I, that's not as easy to understand as Psalm 1. Well, you, you would be correct. It's, it's okay. This is not saying if you're confused when you're reading any part of Scripture, you're somehow deficient as a Christian. But what the clarity of Scripture means is the central message of Scripture is, can be clearly understood by anyone who comes, who comes to Scripture with the, with the ears to hear. Does that make sense? You don't have to, and this should encourage us, this should encourage us, you don't have to have a seminary degree to understand the Bible. So that you, don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to be a scholar, you don't have to be intellectually inclined to understand the Bible. Scripture is clear. Why? Because God is the one who revealed himself. And God is totally capable of revealing himself in a way that we can understand. So that's good news, good news for us. An error regarding this, um, the Roman Catholic Church, I don't know if anyone has a Roman Catholic background, uh, would push back against this doctrine, the clarity of Scripture, and would say that, well, no, actually, that's, that's the reason why there's so many different interpretations of so many different denominations. That, that's, a, that's an issue, right? If you say, if I'm telling a room like this, you can understand the Bible for yourself. The Roman Catholic Church would say, no, the Pope has the authoritative interpretation of Scripture. And if you leave it to people like you and me, we're going we're gonna to make a big mess of it, basically. And the Protestant reformers pushed back and said, no, 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 no. God's word is for God's people and we can understand it which is really really good good news. Okay, second, God's word is authoritative. It's authoritative. We hit on this in the beginning, but I want to quote Kevin DeYoung again because it's so good. He says the last word always goes to the word of God. We must never allow the teachings of science of human experience or of church councils to take precedence over scripture. We must never allow the teachings of science, of human experience, or of church councils to take precedence over scripture. God's word is authoritative. With this, well, actually, let's, um, no, we better move. Um, There's three things he quotes there that are really important. Reason, experience, and tradition. The, these are kind of the three, I guess, competitors to saying God's word is my authority. Some people would say, well, reason's authority. I don't believe in the Bible because it's not proven by science, right? So their, their highest authority is reason. Or, ah, uh, that doesn't really work in my experience. I think this one this one is actually the probably the most common I hear of where people say, my, it, this is my truth. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Not this is the truth, but this is my truth. What that saying, <laughs> Curtis is, uh, Curtis is uh, making noises up here. Anyway, the idea is experience is the authority for what's true, or what the Roman Catholics talk about is Scripture plus tradition. But what the young saying, and what I think is helpful, is God's word. God's word must judge all of our reasoning, all of our experience, all tradition, God's word is the judge of these things. Makes sense? We submit them all to scripture. Thirdly, God's word is necessary. uh, uh, That's definitely not how you spell necessary. Is that right? Oh, great. Okay. God's word is necessary. In the beginning, we talked about general revelation and special revelation how god reveals himself through the trees through the weather through the beautiful world he's made that's true but that knowledge is not enough to lead us to salvation in christ for that we need god's word god's word we need god's word in our lives and fourthly god's word is sufficient it is sufficient. Here's DeYoung again, so helpful. The scriptures contain everything we need for knowledge of salvation and godly living. We don't need any new revelation from heaven. So we don't need any new revelation. The scriptures, uh, think of that 2 Timothy text, able to make us wise, able to train us. Everything we need for life and godliness is in the word of God, what we need. Okay, I want to take just a, just a second, and I want to have another little discussion time. Out of these four, which attribute of Scripture do you think is most um, contested or most minimized today? Either by, let, let's just say, yeah, either by believers or unbelievers. So pick, pick one of these that you think, you know, when you're talking to people, or you yourself, like, ooh, I don't know, I'm not sure about that one. That one, that one's kind of hard. That one's kind of hard to get behind. Okay, Does it make sense. So let's just take Take a second and discuss that together. All right, let's uh, let's come back together. Let's come back together. We've got some more to work through. So, what what, what did you guys come up with? Of what's the most maybe contested attribute of Scripture? today? Let's see. Yeah, Curtis, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, good. Any, did anybody else say that? Just show of hands. Anyone else said authority? Yeah, that's most, most everybody. I, I think I agree with that, is that if the authority of Scripture goes, er, everything else goes with it. That's very good. So, third, third question. We're going to move through this. Why trust the Bible? This is a critical question, because I, what I don't want to say is just say, it's the Bible, the Bible says it, the Bible says it, the Bible says it. Why trust the Bible? Well, first, and there's two reasons here. One came from the reading that we're going to talk about in just a second. But the first is that Scripture is self-authenticating. So this is, this is very important, but it can be confusing. self Self-authenticating. And what I mean by this is that if you start to say, I believe in Scripture because all these other reasons tell me to believe in Scripture, that's actually saying that something besides Scripture is your highest authority. Does that make sense? So there are good reasons like archaeology, like fulfilled prophecy, and I'm not saying those aren't relevant or important, What I'm saying is those things can't be the ultimate authority. There is an authority within scripture itself that when God's people come to it, it's self-authenticating. His authority comes through. It proves itself to be God's word. And again, a a skeptic might say, well, aren't you just kind of going in circles? Like I believe the Bible because the Bible says that. Well, you could ask the same thing. If If you believe reason is the highest authority, well, why do you think that? You have to give a reason in order to defend your reason for why you believe that. All ultimate truth claims are circular to some degree. So it's very very important to get. But two, and probably the most important reason to remember and stand on, is because Jesus believed the Bible. This is what the reading said. I thought it was so helpful. Jesus Christ claimed to be God died and claimed he would be raised from the dead three days later, and he did it. That is the central claim of Christianity. Jesus is the resurrected Lord over all things, and Jesus Christ believed the Bible. He said, every word of it comes from God's mouth. And so, if if you need like one reason to keep in your mind, why do I believe the Bible? Do I really trust it? Jesus believed the Bible. Jesus is Lord. He regularly quoted scripture as authoritative. So, just very, very briefly, how should we. mm, No, we're not going to go there. And how we should read the Bible. But just a couple of thoughts for what the Bible does in our lives. So, okay, all of this is doctrine defending the Bible. What does the Bible do in our lives? really two things. Through the Bible, God rules us, he rules us, and he relates to us. It's through the Bible that his law comes to us, that we know how we should live, and fundamentally, it's how he relates to us. My favorite quote on scripture is J.I. Packer. He says, God wrote the Bible in order to make friends with us. Don't you love that? God wrote the Bible in order to make friends with us. What does he mean by that? Well, he means that by nature and, in our, and really in our sin, we're estranged to God. And we can't make up the gap. We can't make up the gap to know him, but he can make up the gap. He can reveal himself in a way that we can understand. And he did it to make friends with us. So as you begin the new year in a Bible reading plan and as you're just trying to work through the scripture, if that's what you're doing throughout this year, remember that. Ultimately, the Bible is not not just a book full of information. There is information about God. It's not just a book um, with facts about history. As you open the Bible every morning, what's happening is God is coming down to make friends with you. That's just an incredible thought. That's what happens every morning. You open your scripture. God is relating to us. So let us, let us trust in God's word and let us read God's word, dive in together. Amen? Amen. So let's, uh, any, any questions real quick? In a minute, I'm gonna have Curtis come up and pray for us to close out our time. But I just did wanna take a second. Any, any questions that we didn't cover in class about scripture or questions is about the structure of class in general and um, what, we'll, what we'll do. Yeah? We about the two books the Bible that we cover here in nature. Are we talk about how nature reveals God or... um, Good question. Yeah, she, she asked, how does, are we going to talk about general revelation, how nature reveals God? No, not in, not in this class. I, w- I wish we had more time to talk about that because there's a lot, a lot to be said. Um, a great book... On that would be The Things of Earth by Joey Rigney. I think we have that in the, in the bookstore if you're interested in learning more. Sorry. Oh, good. Okay, there we go. Yep. It's a, great, it's a great question. So Philip asked, okay, Jesus said, I believe the Bible, but what he's talking about there is the Old Testament. So what about the New Testament? How can we be sure the New Testament is God's word? And that's a, that's a really great, great question. I think the, the one thing I would say is yeah, that text, I think it's John... 16, where Jesus says that the Spirit will lead you into all truth. And he's talking about, he's talking to the apostles. So it's one of the kind of tests of as a New Testament book scripture is either is it written by an apostle or somebody closely associated with an apostle, that Jesus really divests his authority into the apostles to kind of continue on his revelation. So that when the apostles died, there is no more chance for new scripture, would be be what I would say yeah it's a good question though okay the assignment for next week I just want to be really clear on this so session two or I mean session three in the workbook so session three in the workbook we're we're gonna get this right if we get anything else right session three and yeah why don't you just go ahead and look at that for a second if you have your workbook if you didn't get one grab one on the way out By the way, this reflection and question section, if you want to use it to take notes during class time, that might be a helpful way to use it. Session three, what is God like? Let's look at the instructions real quick. So read the following material from our statement of faith. That's what's always on the next page. So these things come from the sovereign grace statement of faith that we use. And then read chapters six, seven, and 12 in life's biggest questions. So I hope the reading wasn't too much. I mean, I think the, sh- the chapters are very short, and there's not going to be like triple the questions, so don't get worried. <laughs> you see that? I hate it when people do that. They said, oh, we're going to do more reading and like triple the questions. Like that's, that's, not, that's not good. So be chapters 6, 7, and 12, and a few questions from that. So does that make sense? We good? Okay. And Curtis is going to come and pray, just a prayer of thankfulness for God's word, and a prayer that will dedicate us to. You've been listening to a Cornerstone U class given at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Cornerstone U exists to have our minds renewed by the Word of God, to see who God is, and to live in light of His Word and Gospel. To find out more about previous Cornerstone U classes, visit us on the web at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com forward slash cornerstone U.